0: Church. I hope you are having an amazing morning this morning. I hope you've come to wherever you are for, for the sake of worship this morning, that we would worship in a special way, yes, um, individually, but also in some way through the Spirit of God that we would worship corporately today, even though we're online today and we'll be online until November 1st. November 1st will be our first. A time back in person. And so I'm looking forward to getting back together with y'all on November 1st. And we'll have uh, all the kids activities and everything um, open up with that. We'll have Sunday school. And so we'll go back to pretty much a normal schedule on November 1st. And so I'm looking forward to that. It just kind of feels like it's March all over again with not being able to get back together, but we are almost there. Hang with us. We're getting closer and closer. And so I'm looking forward to getting with y'all on November 1st. But I'm looking forward to worshiping with you this morning as well. And I hope that you would join us as we do worship together, that we would bow our faces before an almighty God, that we would lift our hands to an almighty God, that we would let our hearts be moved and stirred and impacted by an almighty God, that this gracious God that he is would come into your home today or wherever you're watching and he would touch you. That he would take and, and grab a hold of you and maybe even uh, destroy a heart of stone that you might have and give you a heart with his spirit in it. Maybe he would change your heart today. Maybe you will see him for the first time in the sense of, of who he is, the graceful God that he is. I just am looking forward to worshiping with you, to singing with So let's just go to the Lord in prayer and we'll continue to worship and we'll come back to his word here in a little bit. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we love you and we're so thankful for the mighty God that you are. I just praise you, God. I ask that, Lord, you would help us as we worship together in the next couple weeks here at our homes and our offices or wherever we're listening at, maybe even listening on the podcast as we're driving down the road. God, I just pray that you would use this time in a mighty way that, Lord, you would touch hearts and and, and just draw us toward you, Lord. Show us how you're running after us. God, I love you, and I praise you for a church family that loves you and and praises you, and I pray that we get to do that today, and you would receive it with gladness, Lord. You would see uh, hearts turning to you. Lord, I just praise you and trust you. In the name of Christ, I pray, God, I ask all of this in the glorious, gracious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. (laughs)
1: Oh, yeah. off offer to us on, uh when we usually do it often, but you can put it in a plates back in the back when you go out. <coughs> right, would you lead us in a prayer please?
0: Hey, Father God, uh, it is so great to be in your house, Lord. Uh, Father God, we just thank you so much for who you are, never changing. Mm-hmm. And Lord, for making that way back that we can get back uh, in grace with you, God. And it's, it's all you, God, sending uh, Jesus to die on that cross for us, Lord, and thank you for his willingness to do that, God, for the love of, for for loving us. Lord, we thank you so much to be able to come to your house and worship you in song and and hearing your word preached, Lord. i just pray you anoint Brother Jerry as he brings our message. Lord, have our ears open, our hearts uh, open, Lord, to receive the word you would have us to hear, and God will give you the praise and glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So last week we looked at a word called hope. And more so, we looked at how God is a God of hope. And I pray that um, it was as moving to you as it was for me in the study time and walking through it. In fact, I know it was for several of you. I had several people reach out and was talking about the idea of, of just a, a message of hope that they really needed. And I pray that that you uh, felt that as well, that God moved and spoke to you last week. And if you hadn't got a chance to watch that, go back and watch last week's sermon, a message of hope. And uh, so I'm I'm looking forward to to how God's going to continue to use that. This morning, though, I'm going to look at a message of grace, the idea of God being a gracious God. So last week we looked at hope. This week I just want to look at grace and, and what does it mean to look at this word grace because I believe this is a word that gives wonderful hope and comfort for the Christian today and last week I talked about all the reasons we need that hope and and I know you know them, you experience it, you're walking in the circumstances today in which we need hope and we see that but we also need the grace of God and we're going to look at that today. This word grace is a theme that we see throughout all of scripture from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament, from the beginning to the end we see this idea of grace. This concept of grace. And really probably it's the most characterizing word of God I believe there is. I could say love, and, and it's a close runner with it, but really I think love is, is part of his grace in, in, in a lot of ways. And so when I think of God's grace, I think of his love. And so I think of the, if I could just give one word maybe that explains who God is, it would be this idea of grace. Because then that love is unconditional, and this idea of a, a, a merciful, undeserved love is, is presented there. And so I want to walk through that with you a little bit. It's the one thing that makes Christianity so unique, I believe. In fact, C.S. Lewis was at a conference one time, and and in that conference they were talking about what it is that makes um, Christianity so unique. It's the very question they were asking, and and someone said, "Well, um, maybe it's uh, uh, the resurrection, and the idea that Christ rose and that He's alive." And, and someone said, "Well, I, I, it's really um, good, but but." I think the truth is, is there's other religions that kind of have an idea of people coming back from the dead. And so maybe that's not it. And someone else said, well, maybe it's the incarnation. The fact that God became man, that he literally became man, that God was 100% God. And 100% man in the form of Jesus as he came. And so maybe that's it. And, and they got pretty heated about this discussion. And, and it says that C.S. Lewis came in late and he saw that people were all arguing and trying to walk through this. And he reached over to somebody and he said, hey, what's all this uh, commotion about? And they said, well, they're trying to figure out what is it that makes Christianity so unique. And C.S. Lewis said, oh, that's easy. It's Grace. Grace is what makes Christianity so unique. And I believe C.S. Lewis is right. And I believe it has such an important uh, place and role in our life as Christians today. In fact, in Acts 20, 24, Paul was speaking to the elders at Ephesus and, and and it says this in Acts 20, 24. It says, but I do not account my life of any value nor precious to myself. Paul says, I don't count myself of any value, my life of any value, he says. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul says that his course of life, that his ministry is actually To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. It's his very purpose in life. His very ministry is the gospel of grace of God. The gospel of the grace of God. He ties in grace to that. In fact, perhaps one of the most popular hymns of all time, maybe popular songs of all time, is Amazing Grace. It talks about this grace and how amazing it is. And in fact, I got a little treat for you. I've been working on something and so I want you to see this. Or maybe hear it. Uh may not be the most amazing noise you've ever heard, but the truth is, is that when we understand grace, and we see just how amazing it is, it will be the most amazing sound that you will ever hear. Not just a sound to the ears, but a sound to the soul. It will be the most pleasing and amazing thing that, that you can't even fathom and understand. It just goes beyond all comprehension when we think and see through this idea of who God is and the grace of that he has for us and so what is it though when we think about this word it's true only when we understand the word of grace but what is it that that makes it so amazing what is it that makes a grace amazing why do we sing amazing grace why is it so amazing well let's Let's think about it for a second. What is it that makes it so amazing? Well, I believe there's several different things. And so I want to show you really two different points today. And I know uh, that's kind of unusual for one of my messages is to, for it to be two points. But there's going to be a lot of sub points. So don't you worry. There'll be plenty of stuff here this morning. I believe that God wants you to hear and wants to speak to your heart with. And so the first point this morning is defining this amazing grace helps us to understand grace so defining it helps us understand it so let's define it first what is grace well let's just walk through this systematically there's a couple things i want us to understand first off the word grace in the greek is a word that we pronounce as as charis charis that is what grace is in greek charis and, and just like most Greek words and even words in English, a word can have many different meanings to it. And so the word charis has several different meanings, several different nuances to the word grace. And there's really five different ones I want to talk about. And to show you that, I want to give you a sentence that I made up to show you kind of the five different aspects of the five nuances of grace. And so here's the sentence. Listen to it. We have a gracious God that has showed his grace upon us And by faith, we stand in his grace and given a unique expression of grace toward Jesus through a particular graceful endowment. Now, when I say that sentence, I'm not just saying the word grace over and over again. In in essence, I I know I am I really am, but the fact of this is is that there's five different meanings that are being brought out every time I use the word grace. There's one different meaning in every different time I bring it out. And so when we look at this, the first one, let's just break it down. The first nuance of this word grace is really this idea of it being a winning quality or an attractiveness that invites us to a favorable reaction. And that comes from a a Greek lexicon, it's like a dictionary, but I want to break that down to you, a winning quality or attractiveness that invites a favorable reaction. So when I say we have a gracious God, this is what I'm talking about, it's a characteristic of God, it's a quality, one that is attractive even of who God is. And I believe this is a good place to start because there is no other quality that I can think about that is more attractive than that of His grace. In fact, it is in His grace that we find a compassionate God. It is in this grace that we find a God who loves and who pursues us. It is in this grace that we find a God who who restores and purchases and redeems us and reunites us with Him. It's because of His grace that He came in the first place. It's because of His grace that He created us in the first place because of that grace that he loved us unconditionally even though we rebelled it's because of that grace that he continued to share this plan of a redeemer to come it's because of that grace in which he becomes the redeemer himself and puts on flesh and comes in and it's because of his grace that he goes to the cross and he remains on the cross experiencing the suffering and the wrath of our sin which was meant for us it was because of his grace that he remained there until he gave his last breath it was because of God's grace in which he stays and, and, and resurrects in three days and he defeats and has power over sin. It is because of his grace that he has chosen and privileged me and you to be ambassadors of himself, to be ambassadors of Christ, to go out and share this grace with all those that are around us. It is because of God's grace, my friends. God's grace. We see all of this. It is the most beautiful, attractive quality or characteristic of who God is. And so we see this idea of, 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 of a gracious God. That's the first nuance, this characteristic of who he is. The second nuance of this word grace, the second meaning of the word is, is really that idea of goodwill or loving kindness, favor, um, especially in circumstances of which it's not deserved. And so when, when something good comes to you in which you did not deserve, that's kind of the basic Um, definition that we think of a lot of times this is the most common understanding of grace I would say is this idea of of a loving kindness or goodwill or favor especially in circumstances when it's not deserved and in this way it can be used uh, between men in which a, a master might have goodwill toward his servants even though it's not deserved or but especially in the sense of between God and man anytime we have any interaction let's just think about it this way anytime God interacts with us at all um, and, and, and we see anything besides death, it is God's grace. I mean, his grace is that we can have life, an eternal life with him in the midst of, of everything and, and who we are. And so this idea of, of this relationship between us, the New Testament writers use this word, this charis word predominantly, um, with this idea of this kindness and this goodness in which God bestows uh, onto ill-deserving people. That's me and you, this gift of forgiveness and eternal salvation through Christ. Ephesians 2.5 says, By grace we have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's what Ephesians 2.5 says. It says not only are we saved by grace, But we have been raised up and seated to be at the right hand, to be present with Christ. Not only to be with him, but to be co-heirs of Christ. Do you really understand what that means? To be co-heirs of Christ. To be a a sharer of the inheritance of Christ. This blows my mind. Romans shares with us that, that while we do suffer with Christ and we share in that suffering of Christ's suffering now, there's a day to come in which we'll share in the glory of Christ. Imagine that with me. And I have idea of this place in which we go to eventually or going to be with him eventually in this place of sharing completely in the glory of Christ. Praise God. Praise the Lord. We were orphans of this world, and God took us in by the shedding of his own blood. While we were orphans, he took us in. I mean, think about this. And now, after being orphans, now, after he's taken us in, we share in the inheritance that is given to Jesus Christ because God has adopted us into his family. Let that sink in for a moment. You know, I think about A lot of times today, what we see oftentimes is people go about every different direction, every different way they can to not share their inheritance. A lot of times you see families split up because they don't want to share the inheritance. You see this disaster happen where a a patriarch or matriarch of a family passes away and all the kids kind of get into this feud because of the inheritance and not wanting to share it appropriately. And so we do everything we can to get out of sharing an inheritance, but what does Christ do? Christ had the inheritance of, of God to himself. He was the only begotten son. He had all of God's inheritance, all of the riches, all of the glory. Everything that existed was Christ's. It was his, his inheritance. And what does he do? Not only does he, 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 he have it, but he, he says, I want to share it with you. To the point where I will shed my own blood, go to the cross, die a death, and raise from the grave. To the point where I can offer salvation to you in which you can share in my inheritance. That you can be seated at the right hand of God with me as co-heirs. So instead of keeping it all for himself... Christ says, I want to share it with you. Be one with me so that we can have and share together in the riches and the glory and everything else. We can share in it because we are co-heirs of the inheritance of God. We are now the beloved of God. Praise the Lord. I've been in this mind of, of adoption all week long and really for the last several weeks if you hadn't heard yet, um, Jacqueline and I are, are, are going through this process. It's called Foster to Adopt, and we're so excited about this. We're so looking forward to, to being able to foster children and maybe even eventually adopt them. And, and the way that works is, is is that you have children in our community that that uh, need a place to stay, a secure, safe place. And we want to be that place For whatever reason, their home's not safe. They they are brought out of it because of whether it was drugs or abuse or whatever it was that made it not safe. They need a place to call home for that time. And so we want to be that home for the sake of God's glory and that alone. And I think about this time and and my mind's been all over because we had a three hour uh, training on Tuesday night, a three hour training on Thursday night and a nine hour training yesterday on Saturday. And and my mind's just blown away with this idea of of this love that Christ has for us. And I just want to share that with these children. and, And if we can just give them a place to live and a secure place for that amount of time and share the gospel of Christ with them, praise the Lord. And hopefully, the things will work out and there'll be reunification with their family and they can go back to their family and hopefully, Lord willing, we can kind of uh, share the gospel with them as they're here. And, and Lord willing, the Lord reveal himself to them and we get to send these kids out to their homes, to their biological families, to be little missionaries in their homes. What a great opportunity that God might use as we come together and and, and, and love on these children through this. And Lord willing, there might be a time in which um, um, he, he sees fit that these, these kids will, will stay with us and we'll, we'll give a forever home to them. and We'll adopt them and praise God. And I just think about, about all that. We've been walking through and they prepare you for the sacrifices that you have to make for this. And, and they prepare you for, for uh, the, the hardships and, 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 and different things that you're going to approach as you go through this. And I just think about God willingly, From no merit of our own, but through his grace alone, he comes and says, I want you in my family. I want you in my family, in the family of God. I want you to share in my inheritance. What a blessing. What a way to see God's grace. This is God's grace bestowed on us. So not only do we see this gracious God that he is, this characteristic, but we see this unmerited gift of love and this idea of goodwill given to us, this favor. And so there's two different aspects of it. There's another aspect. The third aspect here is that once um, this grace has been bestowed on us, it gives us this, this third nuance of this word. It's, it's that grace is a spiritual state or a condition in which one rests in God's favor. I want us to make sure we understand this idea of grace. Not only is it a characteristic of God, not only is it something he showers upon us in a sense of, of giving us a, a goodwill and a, a loving gift that's unmerited, but then after bestowing that and we receive that by faith, then we stand in his grace. And so it's this condition, the state, we stand in the grace of God. What a blessing that is. Romans 5, 1 says, therefore, having been justified by faith, so having received God's grace by faith, it says that we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So not only is salvation something that is given by grace, but, it's a, but because of salvation, we now enter into this place, the standing of grace. Paul says that by God's grace, we stand in the grace of God. We stand as one who has been forgiven, purchased, redeemed, restored. We stand as one who is justified and has peace with God. I think oftentimes we think of of, of crying out to God to have this peace from God, a peace from God in the situation, the circumstance, whatever we're going through, and we want this peace from God. But the reality is is that we are in need of a peace of God, a peace with God. We need this peace with Him and who He is. That's that place, that standing. And because of God's grace, we can have peace with God. Praise the Lord. The fourth nuance of this word is that it is an expression of gratitude for the favor of grace that has been bestowed. And we don't think of this idea, this aspect of grace too often, I don't think. So we got this gracious characteristic of God, this gracious God that he is, a grace that he bestows and which is a a good, loving, favored gift that is unmerited. And then not only is it a, a gift, but it's a place, a condition in which we stand. But not only is it a condition in which we stand, this next aspect of it is that it's an expression. We now get this way to express it back. And so this is interesting. God Gives his grace to us, but enables us through the spirit of God to reflect it back and to give it back in a sense, to give grace back. And that sounds confusing, but maybe the best way to understand this is is how the English um, translations uh, translate it oftentimes. Is when you read it in the English in your scripture, in your Bible, it actually says, I thank Jesus Christ for whatever it may be. Paul says often, I thank Jesus Christ for the cross. I thank Jesus Christ for whatever he's thanking Jesus for. I thank Jesus Christ for you and and your salvation. Whatever he's thanking Jesus for, the word that he's actually using there is grace. What he's actually saying, the literal translation is, is I have grace toward Jesus Christ because of your salvation, or I have grace toward Jesus Christ because of whatever it may be. You might say, well, I never really thought of it that way. But it's not completely... um, foreign to us. In fact, uh, maybe this will help you. Before we eat, I think we, we normally uh, talk about grace in this way. In fact, what do you do when you, when you sit down at your table and you're getting ready to enjoy a meal with your family? What, what do you do? Well, Lord willing, one of the first things you do is you say grace. You say grace, and, 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 and uh, uh, that's an opportunity for you to give thanks to God for, for uh, the meal that he's provided for your family. And so we call that grace. We say grace. In my household, we always called it thanks. We said we say thanks. In fact, uh, my, the first thing we'd do every time we sat down for meals, my stepdad would say, all right, who wants to give thanks? Or he'd say, Bub, will you give thanks? Or, or whoever it is, would you give thanks? And we would pray and, and thank the Lord for, for what he's given us. That was to say grace. In fact, uh, I remember growing up and... and I was young in my faith. I was just knowing who Christ was, and he's revealed himself to me, and I was anxious about following him and, and, and excited about it. And so we invited my cousin over, and I remember he came down and he sat down, and I was so excited about being able to, to say thanks with him because I, I thought it would be an opportunity to talk about my, my uh, faith and my walk with Christ. And so, so he sat down, and I said, Hey, hey, um, would you mind to say thanks? And he said, uh, Yeah. Yeah thank y'all. And then he started eating. <laughs> and I just laughed so hard because, I, and I know it, uh, the sad thing is, is that he didn't understand what it was because he didn't grow up in a Christian home. He didn't, never thought about an idea of thanking a God for the food he was about to eat. It was completely foreign to him. And so that, it, it, it breaks my heart to know that that's the case for so many of us, so many people in our community, in our, our nation. Um, it doesn't even cross our minds to thank God for, for a simple plate that, that uh, he's allowed us to have in front of us and to provide for our family. But that is one opportunity in which we have to, to say grace or to say thanks. And that covers this aspect of it, that nuance of it. And so the final nuance of it, the final way that we really see this idea of grace is, is this idea that it's something in particular which he freely and graciously gives or bestows. It is a gift. And that's what I mean by this idea of a graceful endowment that he gives. It's a gift that he's given. So not only is it something in which he is, not only is it something he gives as, as uh, just generally a, a, a good merit um, that's unmerited, or not only is it just something that we have a standing of, or, or is it something in which we reflect back to him, but the final idea here is that it, it is a gift in which he uses to help us express this things back to him. And that is what we call oftentimes a spiritual gift. When you look at the word of God, it calls these spiritual gifts. And you may have not recognized this before, but but these words are tied in together. The Greek word for for grace, again, is charis. But the Greek word for gift, or at least a spiritual gift in this circumstance, and as the scriptures say it, is is charisma. The word we get from uh, charisma. And so a gift, a spiritual gift is charisma. And then a grace itself is charis. And so it makes sense as you start to look at the word of God. First Peter 4, 10 says, as each gift is given to you, use it to serve one another as good stewards of the buried grace of God is what it says. And so what he's really saying literally he says, use your charisma as God has given it to you to serve one another as the buried charis uh, that, of God that he's given. You. And the same thing in Romans, Romans twelve six he says, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Literally saying we have charisma that differs according to the charis given to us. Beforehand, you might have thought, um, what does this have to do with each other? This idea of God's grace and a spiritual gift, does that really um, entail one another? What does it mean to have a varied amount of grace? Is it a, Does he give some to some and more to others? What is, no, what he's getting at here is that our gift The ability to be able to encourage or exhort one another, exhortation, or the ability to preach the word of God or the ability to have healing or the ability to have any of these spiritual gifts that we talk about, discernment, whatever it may be, that these are expressions of God's grace, particular expressions that he's gifted you with to be able to show his grace. So what a blessing that is. And so again, in one sentence, we see these five different nuances of this word grace. We have a gracious God that has showered his grace upon us that by faith we stand in his grace and given a unique expression of grace toward Jesus Christ through a particular graceful endowment. Five different ways we use the same word called grace. Oh, what a gracious God we serve. What amazing grace it is. And so, to kind of bring this around after we've understood it a little bit more, and we've defined it just a little bit more, what does that amazing grace have to do with us, though? What's some reminders of of this amazing grace? And there's several that I want to give you, several reminders, some, some things to remember, anyways, about this amazing grace. And I believe there's four of them. The first one is is this reminder that our salvation is by God's grace. Simple. Our salvation is by God's grace. Salvation is first, foremost, and always a matter of grace. Scripture goes above and beyond to show us that we are saved by the grace of God. The whole letter to the Galatian church that we just spent all that time going through is a whole letter that pertains to the idea that we are saved by God's grace. And so we see that over and over again. He doesn't owe us anything. In fact, we the very thing we deserve is damnation, eternal damnation, because we're all sinners. And that salvation, that eternal life is a gift. It's a gift from God. And we see all of that in scripture. Of course, God has gifted man responsibility. He's privileged us with the responsibility to, to repent and to believe and to confess that he is Christ and to be baptized, and even to, to follow him and obey him. He's given us a responsibility in that, but all of those things are not ways we merit salvation. They're not ways we earn salvation. They're ways in which we we see that salvation is possible. Only by God's grace we're able to do any of these things, and it's by salvation that we're able to, to uh, uh, see God's grace in its fullest extent. This idea that, that it's something we did not deserve at all, and he says even though you don't, even though you're sinners, I still love you to the point of going to a cross and giving my life for you and giving you a way that by faith you may receive it. It's by God's grace. The second thing to remember is that God's grace causes us to walk with him. It causes us to walk with him. And some people reason that since we're saved by grace, that means we can do whatever we want, whatever we wish. Yet, over and over again, God's word is contrary to that. God's word shows us that the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and, to, and worldly lust to deny it. It encourages us to live soberly and righteously and godly. And, and, and so we look for this blessed hope and glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. That's all the things in which this grace of God pushes us to, teaches us to, encourages us to do. And so Paul explains that the very reason Jesus came was, was to to redeem us so that we would be freed from lawless deeds. And, and he says in Timothy, or I think it's Titus, he says that he might purify for himself his own special people. And Peter he says a holy nation, a priesthood, uh, zealous for good works. This idea that he even came so that he might purify us and cleanse us and redeem us and restore us and make us look more like him. That's the point of, of his grace is to let us walk with him, to walk in him even. And So what a blessing that is, this has um, been the promise from the very beginning. The very promise that I was talking about at the beginning uh, before we even really got started this morning was that he would give us a new heart and he put his spirit within us. And it says later on in Ezekiel 36, right there in that same passage, he says, and in that spirit, me putting it in you and giving you a new heart, he says, I'll cause you to walk in my statutes, to obey me. He says, I'll cause you to do that. Our walk with God is one of union. It's, it's one in which we commune together with him. Oftentimes we talk about our relationship with Jesus. And that's how we understand salvation. We talk about this relationship that we have with Jesus. And I think that's good. We, it is a relationship. It's a love relationship. It's, it's one in which we talk with him. We commune with him. We, we uh, uh, rejoice with him. And, and, and we go through struggles with him. And so in that sense, yes, it's a relationship. And I believe there's a reason that um, illustration is so popular is, is that we have a relationship with Jesus. It's what the scriptures teach. However, I think we've misunderstood it to some degree too because I think oftentimes when I hear people talking about the relationship with Jesus, it's almost as if it's a relationship with a friend and, and one in which you talk with and, and when you're struggling, you, they help you and you get encouragement from and, and you walk through with them and sometimes they're distant from you and they're sometimes your, your best buddies and, and we think about our relationship that way sometimes, but that's not what a relationship with Christ is to look like. Our relationship with Christ is to look like oneness with Christ. It's union with Christ. Our relationship is to commune with Him. The very picture that is supposed to happen with a husband and wife, like me and Jacqueline, we are one with one another. At least we're, we strive to be one with one another, but there's difficulty in that. There's, there, there's times that it doesn't go too well, that the union is hard to, to see, and, and, and that's just part of us um, on this side of heaven in which we struggle to be one with one another. And so that's very well the case, but The picture is that that is the point to the day that we have a complete oneness with God in which we already get to partake in in some level. We are already one with God. We are already reigning with with Him, co-heirs with Him, in a sense that His Spirit is in us and He dwells inside of us and we are one with Him in that way. But there's a day to come which the flesh will be no more in the sense of the wickedness, the the sinful aspect of it, and that we'll be um, resurrected with Him. And have a a newness with him in which we are completely one with him. And there's nothing uh, struggling uh, away from that. And I look forward to that day. So we see this oneness with him, this relationship with him. And it's because of that that he works in us to do those good wills. It's because of that that we have the strength to do whatever he desires us to do. It's because of him being in us. Another aspect of this walk is that we grow in grace. We walk with God as as one in which we grow in grace. So, brothers and sisters, I just want to share with you just for a moment here that I just think it's not enough to experience God's grace just in the sense of forgiveness. I know that might blow your mind. You say, just forgiveness? Well, I shouldn't say just forgiveness. I mean, forgiveness is everything. I can't imagine a, a just God looking at me and saying your sins are forgiven. That, that, that amazes me and I'll never be able to fully comprehend it. But the thing about God's grace is it's even more than that. It's not just about him forgiving my sins. It's about him walking with me and, 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 and sharing with me in so many things and me sharing in him with so many things, both in this life and the life to come so we can grow in that grace. And we do that through heeding to the word of God. We do that through um, prayer and drawing near to him. In fact, uh, uh, James 4, 8, I believe it is, says that draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. This promise of, of being able to draw close to God. It happens by building others up with that charisma that he's given us, that gift, that spiritual gift he's given us, or by being built up by others with their charisma, their spiritual gift that he's given them to build us up. We grow in that grace. Another reminder, the third reminder here about this grace, and and this this is something um, that I want to make sure you hear, and that's that this grace can be received in vain. You should open your eyes up a little bit. That this grace can be received in vain. Paul pleaded with the Corinthians that they might not receive God's grace in vain. He pleaded with them that they wouldn't receive it in vain. May God forbid any of us from ever receiving this grace in vain. I mean, after understanding grace and seeing its unmatched beauty, after seeing it, how could we ever just receive it in vain? But I believe there's several ways that we do this. I think uh, we receive it in vain by seeking justification for sin elsewhere. Instead of Christ, we, we seek justification elsewhere. And In fact, uh, the Galatian letter that we just went through is an example of this. They, they sought justification through their ability to stand on God's word and, and a sense of what they could do in abiding in his rules. The letter of the law. They were standing in God's rules and their ability to be able to accomplish them instead of the idea that Christ has already done it. You know, in fact, that's one of the uh, ways that we can see grace. Sometimes you see religion as a, a, a two-letter word, D-O, do. You got to do this and do this. Or, or you see it as a four-letter word, D-O-N-T, don't. You don't do this and you don't do this. But the reality is, is that we have a grace in Christ, through Christ, that is D-O-N-E, done, it is done. What he has accomplished has done it for us. And that's the idea here of, of, of recognizing that, not relying on yourself, but relying on Christ. Another uh, way we, we uh, can see that this happen in vain, that we receive it in vain, I think, is by willful and unrepentant sinning. Thereby, um, we, we really uh, uh, are despising the spirit of grace itself. Hebrews says that for such a person that willingly sins, there is no longer a sacrifice that remains or only a fearful expectation of judgment. And Why is that the case? Well, when we willingly sin, we're just taking and trampling the Son of God under our feet. We we take and and count the blood of Christ, the, the covenant blood in which we're sanctified through and we have no regard for it. So that's how you receive it in vain. May we never receive God's grace in vain. The final reminder is that grace allows us to come boldly before the throne of grace. And that's the one I want to end on this morning. That grace allows us to come boldly before the throne of grace. Hebrews 4 verse 14 says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yet let us, it says in verse 16, let us then with confidence or boldness draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help in the time of need. What does this mean to come boldly before the throne of grace? What does the throne of grace mean? Well, the throne of grace is simply just another way of saying the throne of God. In fact, Scripture calls it the throne of grace. You see the throne of righteousness, the throne of justice, the throne of mercy. Um, um, You see this idea of it being the throne of these different characteristics of who God is. And so Hebrews is just getting at this idea that the throne, the throne of God is a place of grace. That God is a graceful God. Filled with grace. And he says, let us draw near. Let us come to the throne of grace. Boldly, he says, let us do that. And this is the language of a priest in a sense, a priestly uh, expression which the Old Testament would have used for a priest to approach God. And what's happening here is is it's sharing with us that, that we are able now to approach God in worship and prayer, that that ability to approach the holiest of holy places, the presence of God himself, is something we have the ability to do now Every Christian now has the ability to do to approach God in true worship and prayer. Not only to approach Him, but to do it boldly with confidence. The idea of knowing the full story, knowing the grace of God, knowing that it's because of the blood of the Lamb that we can go there. And not only are we able to approach this throne of grace, but we have every reason to approach the throne of grace boldly. We should approach it boldly because of the high priest that we have. Jesus Christ is our high priest, the high priest, the great high priest, the sympathetic high priest. The word sympathy literally means to suffer with. He suffers with us to the point of, of experiencing the same things we have yet with no sin. Therefore, qualifying him to be a merciful and a faithful high priest. We should also come boldly because of the mercy and grace that awaits. You see that in verse 16, it says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, I haven't lived an awful long time. I'm 26 years old. I forget my age sometimes. Yeah, February I turned 27. So I'm 26 years old and and. It's not a long time, but in that time, I've learned something. I've learned that there's two things that every one of us needs to live. There's absolutely two things that we need to live. And those two things are mercy and grace. We need mercy. The fact that we have forgiveness for the things that which, oh, we deserve and the punishment we deserve, we, we have pardoned from, and the fact that we need grace the fact that we're not left to, to what we deserve, but, but we're given an unmerit we're given an unmerited love. A gracious unmerited love. We need mercy and we need grace. I hope today's been encouraging to you. I hope that you have seen the idea of, 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 of who God is, the grace of God. I hope you've seen that today. I hope you've been lifted up knowing that his grace has been showered and bestowed upon you. But I want to close with a serious warning. Please do not receive God's grace in vain. Please do not receive it in vain. It is something that you cannot live without. You might say, well, I'm doing pretty well. I do all right. You know, I I try hard and I do good and there's times I struggle, yeah, but I go to God when I'm struggling and He gets me back on the right path, and so I'm, I'm doing all right. But I want to tell you, church, it's not enough. It's not enough. God's grace is a little different than that, I believe. See, God's grace is, is something that is so amazing and so powerful and precious that when it comes in, it takes the place of everything else. It doesn't coexist with other things. This grace is something that fills us to the point that it overflows us and pushes everything out. In fact, I heard someone say that grace is an acronym for gaining relationship and changing everything. <laughs> because the truth is, is that when we really gain that relationship, that oneness with Christ, we really understand what grace is and, and we receive this grace by faith when this happens, it literally changes everything. So I want to encourage you today to live in his grace. and You might say, uh, I do pretty well without it. Well, the fact that you're even breathing is because of God's grace. If you're apart from Christ, you're not even living life. In fact, what you have is a delusion life that is really um, you walking dead and rejecting God's grace. And I'm begging you to not reject His grace, but to receive it by faith today. To cry out to Jesus and say, Lord, I've seen your grace this morning. I've seen it. In all the different ways to understand it, who you are. But most of all, I just understand that you have given me this grace to share in, to live in. And I want to receive that this morning. And so if that is you this morning, simply cry out to the Lord for his mercy and his grace and say, I need it, Lord. You know I need it. In fact, you've given it to me already. I see that now, Lord, and I receive it by faith. And, and, And if that is your cry today, reach out to me and share that with me. And I want to walk through that with you because that is a glorious thing we call salvation. And I pray that he saves you today. You say, I'm already saved and I know it. I pray that you've been reminded of the grace of God. And in the circumstances we found ourselves in today and the craziness of our world, that we can simply sit back and say, we are filled with hope and we see the grace of God all around us. I hope that has been a blessing to you today. We're going to respond here now. I want to give you just a moment to do that very thing. We're going to sing, but if you uh, want to just close your eyes and pray to the Lord, then you do that. If you want to call my number that's on the screen right here, you can do that and uh, reach out to me. And so I love you, and let's just go to the Lord right now. Heavenly Father, Lord, we cry out to the name of Jesus right now, Lord. And we ask, Father, that you would show yourself mightily this morning, right this very moment. Show us your grace, Lord. Let your grace be so um, overwhelming in our life right now, God, that, that it floods out everything else, Lord. And that all we know to do is just say, Yes, God. Yes, Jesus. And may it completely change our lives. May we walk out of this room today different than we came in because of knowing who you are, Lord, and you extending that to us by faith. Lord, we love you, and we're just so thankful for the God that you are. And we cry out to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: Yes, God. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your sweet son, Jesus, and your amazing grace. In your name I
0: pray. Amen. Amen.